Hey everyone, I'm Lisa. Um, definitely all black today, not as colorful as Matthew. Um, so the Bible reading, I've got two. They're both from Genesis. Um, the first one is Genesis 1, 24 through 2, verse 9. Um, and the second one is Genesis 2, 15 through 18. So let's begin in Genesis 1, verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And so it was. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over all the living and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created mankind in his own image. In the image in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has Um, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and to all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. God God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all its vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. Thanks, Lisa. And hi, everyone. It's really lovely to be here with you this afternoon. My name's Nat, and I'm one of the ministers here at St. Jude's. And today, as Bridget said, we're beginning a two-week series called This Time Tomorrow, Does My Work Matter to God? 
we won't be able to say nearly everything that we could say from the Bible about work in these two weeks. But here at 4pm, we want to be intentional about being equipped to be Christians in our workplaces. And so this is going to be an ongoing focus for us even after this sermon series is over. This afternoon, I want to think together about what our expectations of work should be from God's perspective. So we're going to take a bird's eye look at work across the Bible. While this is just a short series to kind of kick us off in thinking Christianly about work, it's really clear that work is a big part of all of our lives. Whether we do paid work, whether we do unpaid work, uh, maybe a mix of both, whatever season of life we're in as adults, most of us work in some way. You might remember that one of our lockdown activities last August was completing the census. I had a look back at some of the questions on the census this week and uh, the painful but amusing question was, how did the person get to work on Tuesday the 10th of August 2021? Uh, For most of us that was walking down the hallway from our bedroom to the study uh, or maybe rolling out of bed to the other side of the bedroom where we had a desk. So that was a bit of a sad reminder. But there were lots of other questions on the census about work and I was really surprised at how many there were. There were questions about qualifications for work. There were questions about how much income we earned. There were questions about what job the person filling in the census had. Uh, There were questions about what were the main tasks at that job about how many hours were worked. There were questions about whether you did unpaid work, whether you volunteered for an organisation, whether you did unpaid work in your family, uh, with your children or even with relatives more broadly. There were questions about whether you were looking for work. As I looked at the census, there were uh, 66 questions all up and about 20 of those were about work. I think that's really good reflection of the importance of work in our lives. So this afternoon I want to think about three questions in particular about work. First of all, does my work matter to God? Secondly, why can work sometimes be so hard? And thirdly, how can we find meaning in our work? So first of all, does my work matter to God? Looking at Genesis 1 and 2 that we read uh, parts of from this afternoon is really helpful in answering this question. And the first thing we see there in this respect is that God is a worker. God works in Genesis 1 and 2. We didn't read very much of Genesis 1 earlier, but if you read more of Genesis 1, you hear a poetic description of God's creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And then we hear this summary that we did read at the beginning of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So we see in the beginning God worked. God worked to create and he delighted in his work. There's the repeated refrain in Genesis 1, God saw that it was good 
And then at the end of the sixth day, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God worked to create, but God also worked to provide. He didn't just create, he provided for his creation. He created the man and the woman. He planted a garden for them to care for and he filled the garden with trees that were beautiful and that were also good with food to eat. The rest of the Bible tells us that God continues to work and he continues to provide for his world. Have a listen to Psalm 104. This is verse 10. The Lord makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate. God is still working. And Jesus reminds us of this in John chapter 5. In verse 17 there he says, My father is always at his work to this very day. God worked in Genesis 1 and his work was good. God continues to work and his work continues to be good. The second thing we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that people are created to work. Work is part of who we are right from the beginning. Let me read a little bit again from Genesis 1. You can follow this on your news sheet if you'd like to. This is starting at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So here in Genesis, we see men and women together made in the image of God and together in God's image, given a mandate to rule, to be fruitful to fill the earth, to subdue it, to work the Garden of Eden and to take care of it. This is so important. Adam and Eve worked in the Garden of Eden. Work was part of God's perfect design for humans on this earth. And work continues to be part of who God made us to be, who we are in God's image. God works and he made us in his image to work as well. Tim Keller is an American pastor and he's written a book called Every Good Endeavour and he talks there about people being made in God's image. This is what he says. We are called to stand in for God here in the world, exercising stewardship over the rest of creation in his place as his vice regents. We share in doing the things that God has done in creation, bringing order out of chaos, creatively building a civilization out of the material of physical and human nature, caring for all that God has made. 
That description of work is much broader than simply paid work. There are, <clears throat> there are many roles that we take on in life that aren't paid, but that sit with this, um, within this umbrella of exercising stewardship over creation in God's place as his vice-regents. Roles that bring order, roles that are productive in creating, roles that involve caring for God's creation, uh, both inanimate and animate. So as we think about work today and next week and then in an ongoing sense, for many of us that might be paid employment, for some of us that might be unpaid employment and for, for a lot of us it might be a mix of both. So as we think about work, uh, in your mind contextualise uh, wherever you are uh, when it comes to work and your situation. As we think about different types of work, another writer said this, if God came into the world, what would he be like? For the ancient Greeks, he might have been a philosopher king. The ancient Romans might have looked for a just and noble statesman. But how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world? He comes as a carpenter. God values work of all sorts without the cultural biases and evaluations that our world attaches to different types of work. Brothers and sisters, work was part of God's perfect creation right from the beginning. God is a worker and he made us to work as well. Our work does matter to God because it is part of who he made us to be and it is part of what he created us to do. So given all of this, if work was part of God's perfect plan for us, why do we sometimes find work so hard? Why is work hard even if you have a job that you enjoy? Well, I think it's partly why everything in life can sometimes be hard. Because Adam sinned and because we sinned. Because sin has damaged each of us and sin has damaged the world in every way. We read in Romans 3 verse 23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin involves each of us rejecting God as our king, disobeying him, failing to live according to his claim on our lives. And if people were created by God as his vice-regents, as Tim Keller writes, to exercise stewardship over the rest of creation in God's place, then a broken relationship with God, which is what our sin brings, is going to strike at the very heart of our work. And it does. So work is hard. Work is also hard as a direct consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. So in Genesis 3, God says to Adam in verse 17, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Because Adam and Eve sinned, the ground is cursed. Food is produced through painful toil, through thorns and thistles, through the sweat of their brows. 
Imagine the joy of growing food through toil that wasn't painful, with no weeds, with no sweat. I think I'd be an avid gardener if I could garden with no sweat and with no weeds. That was work before sin entered the world. It's almost impossible to imagine now. And it's not just agriculture that's impacted by this curse. God's curse here in Genesis 3 impacts all work. We all experience painful toil. We all sweat it out sometimes in our work. We all deal with thorns and thistles, whether they're metaphorical or whether they're literal. There's a couple of verses in Ecclesiastes 2 that I think really express this well. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. I wonder if there are particular words you resonate with in those verses. Toil, anxious striving, labouring, grief and pain. Minds unable to rest at night. I resonate with that one, the swirling mind when you're trying to sleep. None of those are descriptions of how God created work to be, but I think they are apt to describe our experience of work at times. So we learn from the Bible uh, in Genesis 1 and 2 that we were made to work and that our work matters to God. We also learn that work is hard because sin has damaged us and our world. So given all of that, how can we find meaning in our work? The heart of the good news in the Bible is that belonging to God in Christ gives us new life. That's because Christ dealt with sin on the cross and he offers us a new life in himself. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans chapter 6, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That good news of new life in Christ impacts every every area of our lives, including our work. Because we have new life in Christ, we can find meaning in our work. In this new life, we can find new reason for our work. We can find a new rhythm for our work. We can find a new story for our work and a new future for our work. So let's just look at each of those four things briefly now. In Christ, we find a new reason for our work. Why do we work? Maddie answered this question beautifully earlier, I thought, and she had some really good reasons for the work that she does. There are lots of ways to answer that question. Part of it is pragmatically, we need to work to earn money. Part of it is we work because we love the particular thing we do. We feel like uh, our work uses our gifts and our talents. Maybe we work to be successful. Maybe we work so that we feel better about ourselves. You might want to think about why you do the work that you do. Tim Keller writes a little bit about motivation for work. And he says this, many modern people seek a kind of salvation, self-esteem and self-worth from career success. But the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves 
and secure our identity through work, for we are already proven and secure. It also frees us from a condescending attitude toward less sophisticated labour and from envy over more exalted work. All work now becomes a way to love the God who saved us freely and by extension a way to love our neighbour. As people who belong to Jesus, we can make a huge impact in our workplaces and in the world by doing our work in a way that loves God and in a way that loves the people that we're working with. And I think Maddie reflected something of that in what she said earlier. When we work in accordance with God's creation mandate, when we bring order, when we care for God's creation, when we care for the people in it, then we express our love for God. And those same attitudes also show love for the people around us. So I wonder, why do you work? And how might being more intentional about loving God and loving your neighbour change the way that you do your work? Because we belong to Christ, we have a new reason for our work. We can also find a new rhythm for our work. One of the questions on last year's census was how many hours each person worked overall. I think that highlights a really big issue for lots of us. How do we regulate our hours of work? How do we do that well? It's not really an easy thing to do, is it? Sometimes it's really difficult because the person we work for or the organisation we work for has particular expectations about how much we should work. Sometimes we place our own demands on ourselves in terms of how much we work. Sometimes there are other motivations driving uh, the hours that we work. Sometimes they're good motivations. We want to do an excellent job or we love what we do. Sometimes we have less helpful motivations. Maybe we're greedy or we're driven by selfish ambition. Often I think we're a complex mix of good motivations and less good motivations. But belonging to God in Christ offers us the opportunity to find a new rhythm for our work, a rhythm that's based on God's rhythm in Genesis 2. There we read, By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God himself rested after his work of creation was done. And he gives us a pattern of work and rest in his example. There is a lot we could say about work and rest, about the biblical theme of rest, about the theme of Sabbath, and we won't be able to say most of that now. Uh, Matthew 11 is a good reminder that Jesus offers us rest for our souls. But as I said, in addition to that, God's pattern of work and rest is one that should shape our work and our rest. One of the beautiful things about the good news in Jesus is that we don't need to prove ourselves by overworking. We also don't want to be lazy with the opportunities that God has given us. Depending on your work, uh, your pattern of work and rest might look very different from another person's. But a regular rhythm of work and rest is something that God models for us and calls us to. So how might God's rhythm of work and rest change your current work and rest rhythms?
Belonging to Christ gives us a new reason for our work, it gives us a new rhythm for our work and it also gives us a new story for our work. When we become Christians, we take our place in a new story. In Christ, we are part of God's big story of redemption that started in Genesis 3 and that will uh, reach its climax when Jesus returns. Because we belong to Jesus, we no longer belong to this world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Peter describes us in 1 Peter 1 as exiles. Uh, A few years ago, before the pandemic, our family had the opportunity to take some long service leave. We had six weeks off, which was a big treat, and we went overseas. We went to the UK and Europe and over that six weeks we travelled through a few different countries. I remember very clearly the transition from Vienna to Rome. Vienna was beautiful. It was stately, it was organised, it was structured. I remember one morning we went to a cafe for a drink and my husband and son both ordered a drink. I didn't want to order anything. Clearly that was not the right thing to do. The waiter just stood next to me until I ordered something. Then we went to Rome. It was also beautiful but so different to Vienna. It was chaotic, it was fun, it was so relaxed. If you went into a cafe, no one cared what you ordered, whether you ordered something or nothing at all. Culture and worldview shapes even something as simple as going to a cafe. In Christ, we have a new worldview about everything, including work. And this gives us some really good questions to ask about our work. What is the storyline of the area, the field in which I work? What are the underlying assumptions of my workplace about meaning, about morality, about origin, about destiny? What are the hopes, what are the fears of the people that I work with? Which parts of our cultural worldview in my workplace are basically in line with the gospel so I can agree with them and affirm them? Which parts of the work, uh, the worldview in my in my workplace are in conflict with the gospel. So I need to challenge my my culture. How can we work with excellence and with Christian distinctiveness in our workplaces? There are lots of other really good questions that we can ask about our work because we are people who belong to Christ, not to this world. I wonder what some of those questions might be for you. Belonging to Christ gives us a new reason for work, a new rhythm for work, a new story for our work and finally belonging to Christ gives us a new future for our work. This is all about where we're heading. Our work now as we do it in service of the Lord Jesus Christ is a little taste of what will one day be the reality of all of our work. The moments of joy we have now in our work, of satisfaction, those moments of flow when you're really in the moment, our little taste of the wholeness we will one day experience in relation to work in God's new heavens and new earth. Listen to Isaiah's vision of this future. This is Isaiah 65, starting at verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. 
No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain. God's curse on work has been undone in the new heavens and the new earth. They will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. I don't really know what work will look like in God's new creation, but we see enough here to know that all of the frustrations that we experience in our work now will be left behind. This is a wonderful vision to keep before us as we work now. It's a vision to encourage us as we work in Christ, and it is a vision to give us hope for the future. So why don't we pray now as I finish up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us in your image. We thank you that in your image you call us to work in this world as your vice regents, to care for this world, to look after it. God, I pray for each of us in the different work that we do, that we might love you and love those around us as we do it, that we might work as people who belong to Christ, that we might work as people who know we have a glorious future when Jesus returns. And we pray in his name. Amen.